Many people will refer to God's kingdom as an upside down kingdom. Have you heard that? But if God's original design of everything was good and right, in other words, the right side up, isn't it in fact the world led by the prince of the power of the air that's upside down? And it's been led for so long that people think that's the right way up. And Jesus came and he said, no, 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 this way. And we all think, okay. But in fact, he's coming to put us the right way up in his right up kingdom. And one day all people will stand before the great white throne judgment of God and we will all have to answer this question. How did you do life? And to answer that question, your works of your life will be tested and the test results will reveal whether you did it His way or your way. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife, children and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. How many of you have been deeply challenged by our journey through the Sermon on the Mount? Anyone? Yo. Me too. <laughs> Hashtag. Uh, not the same. Anyway, it's, it's been tough, and um, it's, it's probably going to get a bit tougher today. So I want, you to, I want you to strap on your, your big boy and big girl pants, spiritually speaking, um, and, and just be ready for what God wants to do. Amen? Good. We are busy with a series called The Teacher about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We have gone through quite a bit already. We spoke about the Beatitudes and what Jesus means by a blessed life. What is His definition? We saw what it means to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world as children of God. We call that one earth salt and world light. And we spoke about what Jesus meant when He said, I came to fulfill the law, and the prophets, and how powerful that was. And last week, we did a deep dive into Jesus' teaching on murder and adultery in the heart, and we saw how important it is that we are wholeheartedly serving Jesus so that we don't even think of taking an offense through anger without cause or hatred, and that we don't look with lust onto anyone. Amen? All right. Today... We're talking about the message heading today is, I did it his way. You probably know the song, I did it my way. A lot of people sing it. A lot of Christians sing it and meditate on it without really thinking what they are saying. It's a great song. It's beautiful, but the words are actually quite evil. I did it my way. All about me, 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 I, I, I. And... And today, we are saying, as born-again believers, followers of Jesus, 
I did it his way. Can you just put up that uh, picture again? I just want to tell you that Neil Brebart, the artist who's been helping uh, painting these, he's painting them fresh every week. This is a brand new painting. I told him, bro, everyone's going to think I told you to do this because that used to be me. <laughs> Not with the afro, but, you know, <laughs> I never had that much hair in my life. But, but I hope you can see that there's a microphone with the world on it in darkness, and then there's a microphone with a cable going up to heaven. Can you see that? All right. You guys are very clever, I know. I just wanted to make sure you got it. Thank you, Divan. Um, so how many of you have heard this phrase, it's my way or the highway? How many of you heard it from your spouse? <laughs> Hopefully not. From a parent? In Afrikaans, the same thing goes, so long ke onder my dak blij. Sal jy doen wat ek sê. As long as you're under my roof, you will do what I say. Some of you may have heard it from a boss at this company. It's my way or the highway. Maybe you heard it in a movie, but it's, it's been said. It means the person is actually saying, do things according to my instructions, my will, or to my liking, or leave. Go away. No longer welcome. So that person's will and whether you follow it is the parameter by which you staying or going is, de is dependent on that. Make sense? Now in reading the previous verses of the Sermon on the Mount, you could argue that a summary would be that Jesus is saying, guys, it's my way or the broad way. Because later, he's going to speak about that in chapter 7 and say that few are on the narrow road, many are on the broad road. So in a way, Jesus is saying, it's my way or the broad way. Today, we're going to cover four more sermon points that Jesus makes. And it's all under this heading, I did it his way. Why this title? You may ask, because the topics are different topics. They're not technically the same thing, but they have this one thing in common, and it's doing things according to the kingdom, doing things according to Jesus's way. And that's what he's actually introducing to us, is the way of his kingdom. Many people will refer to God's kingdom as an upside-down kingdom. Have you heard that? God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. But if God's original design of everything was good and right, in other words, the right side up, isn't it in fact the world led by the prince of the power of the air that's upside down? And it's been led for so long that people think that's the right way up. And Jesus came and he said, no, 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 this way. And we all think, okay. But in fact, he's coming to put us the right way up in his right up kingdom. And one day all people will stand before the great white throne judgment of God and we will all have to answer this question. How did you do life? 
And to answer that question, your works of your life will be tested. And the test results will reveal whether you did it His way or your way. I don't know about you, but I would like my test results from the fire of heaven to show I did it His way. Because I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. How many of you want to hear that? That takes choice and focus. So, with that in mind, we're going to read the next few chapter, uh, verses in Matthew 5. And this is actually going to bring us to the end of chapter 5. And we're going to get into chapter 6 next week. So this is a little long. It covers four major topics. I'm going to read you the whole thing, and then we're going to break it up. Are you with me? All right. So let's focus. Let's read together. This is from the New Living Translation. It says, you have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You have also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say, by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say, by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple Yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. I'm quoting Jesus. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Last one. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for you for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Lekker. Sure. Tough one. Our first topic 
Well, let me first say this. So, we've got marriage and divorce. We've got oaths, whether we should make them or not. We've got being injured or injury. And we have how do you deal with your enemy? All right? When it comes to marriage, taking oaths, getting injured or attacked, and dealing with enemies, how will I handle it? My way or Jesus' way? I hope and trust that all born-again believers in this place and online who are listening later, who profess to follow Jesus and who believe that this Bible that we are reading this from, that this is the Holy Bible, and in fact, the infallible Word of the living God who created us, I hope and trust that all of us who say we are born-again Christians and we believe this Word, I hope that all of us will say, I want to be able to say I did it His way, even when it comes to these topics. As we go into each of the four topics, I'd like to ask that when I say the topic, all of you say, I'll do it His way. Let's practice. Marriage. Oaths. Nice. Next time, a bit more chutzpah, a bit more energy. All right. Come on. All right. We're going to talk about marriage first. And this is a tough one. And I know there might be stuff said and brought across today that really challenges. Don't run away. Don't take the bait of Satan, which is offense. Lean into the Word of God. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Amen? All right. So I'm going to read it one more time. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman is also committing adultery. My wife and I are very passionate about marriages. We want to see marriages not just survive, but thrive. How many of you that are married wants to have a marriage that thrives? You're not just scraping by. You're actually like, it's amazing. Amen? That's what we want to see. And at Love Key, I hope that by now you know we believe strongly in doing marriage God's way. Why? Because He invented it. He created it. He designed it. So we should learn from Him how it's done. Amen? For two big reasons. The one is He uses, his, he uses marriage to show us how our relationship should be with Jesus Christ. He's the bridegroom and we are the bride. So if you don't understand God's idea of marriage, you will struggle to understand the relationship between yourself, the church, and Jesus. So that's very important. Secondly, so that you can have a great godly marriage. Amen? Jesus makes a statement here that probably upset some divorced people. And I realize that. Once again, I would like to skip verses like this one. I would like to not deal with this because it's so challenging and it's a potential hornet's nest of questions and offenses that might be caused by the reading of this. But Jesus did say it in the Sermon on the Mount and He told us to go through the Sermon on the Mount. He told me to preach on this. So I have to be obedient. And we have to deal with this. We can't just go, 
let's just, you know, move that one a little bit to the side and get to the good stuff that really is nice on the ear. We have to actually read it and ask Holy Spirit, what do we do with this? Amen? Because if you go with an ignorance is bliss kind of approach, it, it's going to lead to distraction, destruction, and, and not doing things God's way. Let us have the attitude of digging in and allowing His Word, that's a double-edged sword, to cut through bone and marrow and to challenge us. It will take courage. Amen? How many of you see yourselves as courageous believers of Jesus? 12, 15, any, any, anyone else? All right. The thing is, Jesus didn't just say this once. So we have to listen. He said it later in Matthew 19. And it's also recorded in the book of Mark and Luke. Listen to Matthew 19, verse 3 to 9. I don't have this on the screen. If you have your Bible, you can grab it. In Matthew 19, from verse 3, it says, Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the Scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning... God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? They asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. Only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this. Whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. He says exactly the same thing to the Pharisees that he said a few chapters before on the Sermon on the Mount. But what he also does is he confirms Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in flesh, on earth, that's recorded. He confirms God's original design for marriage. As I said, it's recorded in the book of Mark and Luke as well. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul reiterates Jesus' teaching. And he says, he, does not, he says that Jesus does not allow divorce. And he said that if a wife does leave her husband, she should not marry again. Or be reconciled with her husband. And that a husband is not to divorce his wife. Paul confirms this principle. And when he explains that if a man has an unbelieving wife. Now remember, Paul was speaking to the Corinthians. Most of them were Gentiles. That didn't, they weren't Jews, but they came to Christ. So you are having married people who were married before they came to Christ. Now one person comes to Christ and is saved, but the other one might not be yet. Now listen to what he says. 
He says, if you are married to an unbeliever and that person is willing to stay with you, stay married. Don't get divorced. He says it to men and he says it to women. And listen to this. He says, because your belief can sanctify that person. Actually, correction. It sanctifies that person. When you, one of the people in the marriage are born again, you actually cover the other one. You sanctify the other one. No one's excited about that. Okay. Make, you make that person holy, says Paul. But he does say that an unbelieving one, if they want to leave, let them go. And that believer who lets the unbelieving spouse go won't be in bondage. And then he says, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will not save your wife? So he says, the principle is don't get divorced. If you have a difficult situation of being married to an unbeliever and that person is willing to stay, stick it out. Stay married. Don't get divorced. Why? Because it can save their life. Okay, so what is the kingdom principle? What is the thing about which we should say, I will do it Jesus' way? The principle is stay married. Don't get divorced. That's what Jesus is communicating. First prize, kingdom ideal. Don't get divorced. Now I know, some of you will have objections, questions, Right now in your mind, there's a lot of sentences starting with, yes, but, and you don't understand. And, but what if the husband abused the wife? I know. I hear you. Even though I can't hear your thoughts, I'm pretty sure some of you are having them right now. Just know that your objections is not to what I'm preaching right now. It's to a principle that Jesus has laid down. So, raise the objection, raise the question with reverence for God, with the wanting to know the truth so I can walk in the truth, not with a rebellious heart. Okay? In order for us to deal with this difficult subject, we have to establish God's principles because we can only work from what He says in His Word are His principles. I know that each and every person here has a very specific experience of life. And I know that every marriage that has been hurt or is going through a tough time or you're already divorced, your circumstances are unique to you. I know that. That is why we need principles to steer us in the right direction and to keep us accountable. Amen? All right. right. A man... So we're going to go through some principles. This, I'm going to paint a picture of what I believe as I read God's Word. What is His ideal for marriage? Are you with me, church? Are you, who wants to walk away? <laughs> Are you with me? All right. So God's ideal is that marriage is between a man who is born again, therefore whole in Jesus, baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. He loves the Father, and he will be close and stay close with God. He will inquire of God 
who is his wife? Then he will be obedient to marry the woman that God shows him to marry. God will bring a wife who, like the man, loves him, is born again, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and stays close to the Father. These two then marry each other out of obedience. It's a godly version of arranged marriage. The second principle, those who will leave their fathers and mothers and the two shall become one flesh. They shall leave their fathers and mothers and they will become one flesh. Now, they, these two, who are whole in Jesus separately, now form a new whole. It's not like we say in our normal language, hey, meet my other half, eh? This is my better half. Really? What are you? A quarter? We, we with our language, we speak death. I'm half a person without this one. No, you're not. You're half a person without Jesus. You need to be whole in Jesus, and then you become one flesh with your spouse. But that's two whole people becoming a new whole in God, not two half people who wants to be parasites sucking the life out of each other for the rest of their lives, one day waking up going, I don't love you anymore. What the flip? It's because you started out the wrong way. Yeah, but this is how I feel. I don't care how you feel. Your feelings have nothing to do with it. It has to be out of faith and obedience. The feelings will come. And they are important, but they are not first. These two people who are one in Jesus and now one flesh with each other can collectively walk out their callings, their individual callings and their callings together. They can enjoy intimacy through conversation. They can enjoy listening to each other, spending time together. They can have lots of sex. Hallelujah. And they can make lots of babies. Hallelujah. That's God's plan. Go forth and multiply. That's His plan. Very few amens on that. In God's ideal, the man knows what it means to be a man of God. And will love and lead his wife and children well. He will make sure that his family forms part of a local life-giving church where they serve, are trained, and challenged to become more like Jesus. And it probably will be this church where the man and the woman met in the first place. The man, the man leads well from a solid relationship with God and as the wife sees and hears how her husband spends time with God and leads her and the kids from that place, she gladly and lovingly comes alongside him and submits and helps. The children feel safe because dad and mom love one another and the children understand the order in the home because the dad has set the order because he understands God's order. God first. Marriage second, 
then the children, then our callings. Those are the biblical principles that marriage should be built on. I can give you much more, but you can buy my wife and my book and learn more about it or come do our marriage course in, in due time. But these are the principles that we have to see God as God's ideal for marriage, all right? Who knows this too? The devil, the enemy, Lucifer, Satan, the prince of the power of the air. He knows that this is God's design. He knows that this is God's plan. What is his mandate? He walks around like a roaring lion and came to kill, steal, and destroy. What? The people of God. Where does he start? With the men. Why? Because he knows God's order. If he can topple the man, he can hurt the wife, hurt the marriage, hurt the children. And if they do not get healed, wholeness, if they do not get back to Jesus, then the cycle will keep continuing. And that's why the world looks the way it does. It's a bunch of broken people trying to not be broken, but they just get broken even more. Because they don't know who they are. Because by God's design, men are the head of the marriage and the home. And not in the dysfunctional way that the world is using at the moment to paint all men with the toxic masculinity brush. No, that is not what I'm talking about. That is not leading. That is not loving. And yes, there are men who have done that and have given marriage a bad name. But that's not God's plan. That's not God's ideal. The man is to be like Jesus, who loves unconditionally, sacrificially, with a serving heart. And that's where he leads from in the home. That's a man of God. And a man can only be this way and love this way if he's born again. If he loves God and he stays close to God. If he doesn't know Jesus or if he takes his eyes off of Jesus, as we said about King David, he will be tempted and he can be led astray through various kinds of sin. Sexual immorality, abuse, financial dishonesty, greed, insecurities, whatever it might be. Everyone has a weak point and the enemy will come for that weak point. The moment you take your eyes off of Jesus, he will come for you. Especially if you're already a threat to the kingdom. Do you know who's the greatest threat to his darkness kingdom? Men who love God and serve him wholeheartedly. He hates you. He hates you. He wants to kill you. Why would the devil do this? In order to destroy the marriage. Why would he want to destroy the marriage? In order to hurt the wife and the children. Why? So the cycle can continue and more hurt people will hurt more people. But why would the enemy stop there? Why just hurt the, the marriage and the children? Why not convince people that their choices, their comfort, and their convenience is more important than life created by God. So, let's murder babies before they are born. If I can kill a baby in the womb, I don't have to worry about that baby when it grows up. So I'll convince people that that's just a pile of cells. It's not life. But we know that the Word of God says life begins at conception. And only God is in control. And we'll, just, we'll convince people to murder babies and we'll give it a nice name like women's health care. And lie to people. Do you know that the blood 
of over 5 million murdered unborn babies scream from medical waste baskets all over this nation for God's righteous judgment to be brought down on those who legitimize this evil practice. And that's just South Africa. You see, Satan hates you. He hates me. He hates all of us. He wants to kill you. If he can't get you in the womb, he will get you some other way. And always keep trying right throughout your life. The only time he's going, to try, he's going to stop to try and kill you physically is when he sees he doesn't have to worry about you because his lies were effective and you are not living for Jesus. Then he will leave you alone because he knows the moment you do die, you go to eternal death. He stops worrying about you. Yes, live your comfortable life. Yes, yes, worship money. Worship all these other things. That's fine. I don't have to worry about you. I'm more worried about this guy who actually loves his wife and his children and chases the kingdom of God. I'm going to get, get him. And, and the, the, the devil is probably going, why, why stop at that? Why not convince the, a whole generation, you know, that actually God's not real? We all evolved from amoebas over millions of years, and therefore you have no reason for living. There's no life after death. There's no eternity. Therefore, hey, don't worry. You don't have to be accountable to a God one day. You can live the way you want. Why stop there? If there's no God, no accountability, then hey, there's actually no order to anything. And in fact, there's no such thing as objective reality, so there's no such thing as male and female. So we can make marriage whatever we want. Everyone can marry whoever they like, and we can decide what gender is ourselves and just create new things that never existed before. And just to make sure it sounds good, we'll give it a nice name. Equity, inclusion, and diversity. Nice names. Linguistic hijacking has taken place. And then we force people to get training in line with these words to brainwash them to believe these lies. And then we make sure those pesky Christians don't get all up in our evil scheme. In order to do that, We'll give them names like they're bigots and fascists and homophobes and transphobes and we'll just cancel them. I hope you can see the insanity of what's happening. It's all been strategized by the enemy because he hates God's idea of marriage and family. He is coming for it. They are already busy redefining the word marriage in our nation. They took all the marriage acts and they're making it one, saying that all marriages are equal and will be treated the same way legally. They can force, and this bill comes into working, they can force a pastor or a minister to marry people that they don't agree should be married. They can force them to do that. They can force, and they've already done it, wedding venues that don't want to be a wedding venue for certain types of marriages. They take them to court. They shut them down. This is how much the enemy hates marriage God's way. It all started with the devil's oldest lie. Did God really say this is how you should do marriage. Did he really say that? I don't know. Just sow some doubt. Just 
you know, read that article, watch that news broadcast. Let, let, the, let the people desensitize you about what God originally designed everything to be. And eventually you kind of go, oh, I don't know, I think it's okay. Then he's got you. He's got many Christians already in his web of deceit. I want to emphatically and passionately state to you today, there is a living God, only one. He created all things. He created man in his own image and likeness, and he made them male and female according to his likeness. He created marriage to be between one man and one woman, and his son Jesus confirms it. That has not changed. And anything that falls outside of these parameters, outside of God's order, is outside of His will, and therefore is sin, and will cause those who practice it to not inherit the kingdom of God. If all of that offends you, I've got good news for you. If you don't believe there is a God, and if you don't believe then that he has a kingdom, then what are you worried about when I say you won't inherit his kingdom? Because then I'm talking about a fairy tale according to you. But there is a kingdom. And only those who follow God and his way will enter it. Only those who are born again will see it and enter it. So when we say we will do it Jesus' way, we need to understand what it means to God, and we need to count the cost. As with all the verses we've read in the Sermon on the Mount, the golden thread is all the time, die to self, live for God and your neighbor. Die to self, live for God and your neighbor. Jesus states clearly more than once that the only... Jesus states more than once that the only legitimate reason for divorce is unfaithfulness. Now, what about someone who's being verbally or physically abused, you may ask? What about someone who has become a shell of a person since they got married? Or what about the phrase the worldly courts give as a ticket to get out of the contract, not the covenant, the contract of marriage, irreconcilable differences? The Bible doesn't give a specific answer to all these questions from what I can find. What I do know is that if your marriage started according to the will of God, you will have a much greater chance of having a thriving marriage where you work through your challenges and grow together. Amen? If your foundations were shaky from the beginning, because maybe you married as unbelievers and you did it your way, Maybe you got married as a cultural Christian who nowadays in, in, the, in general, not all, but in general, many cultural Christians have bought into this idea that I can live together, sleep together before I get married because I want to see if I'm compatible. Bro, God made you compatible. It fits. Just You don't have to live together to figure it out. I'm being real. You don't have to live together to figure out you're compatible. It's a lie from the enemy. I don't know what you guys are thinking about. I meant a woman fits with a man. 
Where are your minds going? If you live together and sleep together before marriage, you are outside of God's will. And you cannot expect Him to bless what you are doing in your own will. There will be a deficit. There will be a shaky foundation. Many of you who are on a rocky place in your marriage right now or who have experienced it before, it might be because the foundations were never right. It was never according to this ideal that I explained to you before, that this is what God wants for us. And I understand, you may have grown up in a way, in a, in a certain environment where that was never taught. You didn't know. And, and, and I know that's difficult. But what I'm saying is now we need to know this is God's will. So if I look at my life and the things that have gone wrong, I need to be open and honest. Is it because it wasn't according to God's will? Or was it my own poor choices? What's the reason? And we need to look at that. The great news that I have for you today is even if you didn't start out the right way, you can always come to Jesus. Repent, make right, forgive, reconcile where possible, and move forward. That is the good news of the gospel. It's not easy. It may be a process, and the consequences of previous sin and actions may still come to bite you, but you can rest assured that your relationship with Jesus is right, and your place in eternity with Him is sure. Amen? If you started out right with your marriage and things went south because perhaps the spouse was hiding their true self and their true nature, and then suddenly after you got married, you're like, who are you? I didn't marry this person. I've heard many stories like that. One person before you got married, a whole other person after marriage. Suddenly abusive, verbally, physically, do all kinds of weird things. What happens then? My first hard question to you would be, did God really say that you should get married? I'm not being the devil right now. I'm asking, did God really put you together? Because his word says, what God put together, let no man split. If you say, yes, I know that God spoke to me, okay, then that's a difficult road to walk. The first point would be to pray for the spouse to get their lives right with Jesus, to be healed from whatever they are broken of, and to become whole and to become saved. Amen? But if covenant was broken, then, then I know it's a difficult situation. And what I can offer you from the reading that I did, as I said, I can't find one scripture where Jesus says, hey, if that person is hurting you, you're allowed to divorce. I can't find that exact scripture. But what I have found is that many scholars and theologians have taken the phrase sexual immorality or unfaithfulness, and they said that there's a good argument to be made that any kind of abuse that prolongs, that never changes, can be seen as part of that. There's a form of unfaithfulness, a form of sexual immorality that's perpetrated against that person. And then that needs to be dealt with, obviously. I know that my own, in my own family, my sister was married to someone who first verbally abused and then eventually physically abused her. And she stayed and stayed and stayed because she thought she had to. And she tried everything. And eventually someone helped her to see that your life is in danger physically. 
and that you need to, to realize covenant has been broken and, and this, this is causing so much damage. And she walked a path with counselors and a pastor and got healing and she met another man and they are happily married, married now. I know these things are not simple. I'm not trying to say it's simple. Everyone has a journey. But please, whatever your circumstances are, and after that you go, oh my word, what have I done? Don't freak out. We're here to help. We've got amazing counselors, and, and we can walk with you on this journey to make sure that your stuff is where it should be, according to Jesus, so that you can say, I did it his way. Amen? That was the toughest one out of the four. There's still three to go. Do you guys want to stand quickly and stretch your legs? You can if you want. Quickly stand. Just stretch. Breathe. I know it's a long message today. I can, but the next three won't be as long as the first one. Don't worry. Next up, Jesus speaks about oaths. He says, you have also heard that your ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem. Just say yes or no. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. Hectic. I don't know about you, but in the Afrikaans culture that I grew up in as a child, we would always follow up a statement. If I say something to you and it looks like you don't believe me, what do I do? I believe I believe it. It's like, I swear, man. Some would say, hand on the Bible, I promise you. Really, believe me. And then you keep on doing that until you see in that, their eyes, they maybe go from doubt to belief. <laughs> and some, some might even say, you know, on my mother's grave. Or if you've listened to these uh, gangster movies, they go, on my mother's eyes. You know, they, they get weird. And then almost in every American thing I've ever seen, there's at least someone that goes, cross my heart and hope to die. No, they won't say that. They say, cross my heart and hope to die. But, I mean, that's quite a freaky statement. Cross my heart and hope to die. What are you saying? That if what I'm saying is not true, I hope that I die. So I'm making an oath on my own life. It's quite hectic, actually. The thing is, people don't realize how powerful words are. Many people don't know they're actually cursing themselves all the time by the words they say. But wherever you come, wherever you come from and whatever your culture might have been, you probably have a few ways of trying to convince people. And pretty much all of them draws on the authority of something or someone else in order to verify the veracity of your statement. Jesus is warning us to not put ourselves in a vow towards God that we cannot live up to. There will be consequences. He also says, do not use his name or anything that he created in vain. Do not swear by him or anything that he has made because he is sovereign. He holds everything together. You can't change a thing with your will that is beyond your control. Amen? Imagine, I want you to imagine this world for a moment. Imagine a world where your integrity is so intact 
and your confidence is so sure that when you make a statement or share news with someone that they don't believe you, if they don't believe you, you don't care. Imagine that world where I tell you a story and you go, I don't believe you. You go, okay. How many of you are that confident? Anyone? How many of you have this urgent need that someone believes you? And I will keep telling you that they, come on. (laughs) The amazing fruit of a life where you have this integrity and confidence is that eventually people will believe everything you say. Because the fruit has spoken for itself. But this will be hard for anyone who wants instant gratification or have a need to be believed or who know that they are lying but they want people to trust them. It will be hard for you to, to wait for this to happen. So, on this topic of making oaths and saying, I did it Jesus' way, which means I will not make oaths, can we as a community in this church decide today we will stop making oaths. I will stop having the need to say, I swear, I promise, you got to believe me, or I swear by this, or I make a promise by this. Can we keep each other accountable so that when I hear you do that, I can say, hey, let your yes be yes, your no be no. That's good enough. Can we do that? Okay, now don't get offended and fight with one another. Just gently remind them when they do that. And when someone says it to you, you must go, oh, shucks, I didn't know I was doing that. Good. See, that was a much shorter topic. Injury. And we say, I did it his way. Jesus says, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If they slap you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. If you're sued in court for one shirt, give them a coat. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. One commentator that I read up on, he says, the scribes draw a false inference from the letter of the law. As a legal remedy to the, they call it the lex talionis, which is the law of retaliation. That was probably the best possible in a rude state of society. So people were so hectic with each other, they had to bring in this rule just to say, to, to, as, a, as a way to put them off getting physical with each other. The principle was admitted in all ancient nations, but the retribution was exacted by a judicial sentence for the good of the community, not to gratify personal vengeance. The deduction that was morally right for individuals to indulge revenge could not be justified. In other words, you can't use eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth to do what you want and to get back at people. But the, Jesus was speaking about this because there was a, um, a tendency among the Jewish people because of the way the scribes dealt with this to think they can use that as a reason for personal revenge. Are you with me? Some of you? All right. So once again, Jesus guides his listeners to contrast what they have heard in the past to what he's saying now. And once again, he's revealing to them the true nature of the heart of God and how his kingdom is supposed to operate. Now, listen to the Old Testament reference in Exodus 21. This is, I thought this was quite interesting. It's very specific. 
It says, if men fight, so we've got guys in a brawl, okay, they're fighting. And a hurt woman with child, and they hurt a woman with child, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband imposes on him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. All right, so two guys are fighting. A pregnant woman gets bumped or shoved. She gives birth prematurely. The guy who did the bumping can be sentenced to pay a fine, and the husband can decide what happens. But that's if no harm follows. In other words, the woman isn't hurt, the baby isn't hurt. But if there is harm, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So men, don't fight near pregnant women, please. That would be a really, really good idea. The same type of reference we find in Deuteronomy and Leviticus as well, and there it, very, it says very clearly, you, if you do this, someone else is allowed to, to do the same to you. So I find it noteworthy that when Jesus spoke on two commandments from the Ten Commandments, which is adultery and murder, he revealed the true spirit of the commandments, thereby revealing that adultery and murder can take place on a heart level. But here Jesus deals with some of the other civil laws. So eye for eye, tooth for tooth is not in the moral Ten Commandments law. It's part of civil law. It's part of organizing people and making sure they don't kill each other. When he's speaking about this, he says to them, do it differently from what you were taught in the Torah and what the rabbis added on to it. Now, how do we reconcile these two things? Is Jesus also fulfilling these laws? It's a tough question. And I personally don't have like a clear-cut theological argument to give you today on that question. But I want you to take into consideration that this Jesus just declared to them a few minutes ago in a sermon that he came to fulfill the law. And now he's taking them through a list of laws and he changes the way they are to understand it. Jesus knew why he was on earth and why, what was about to come, what he was about to do. He knew the prophecies about him, how it was prophesied that when the Messiah comes, he will not defend himself. How the Messiah will not fight back. How he will take the punishment of the crucifixion. He's going to be verbally abused. He's going to be spat on. He's going to be beaten. His beard is going to be pulled out. He's going to have a crown of thorns stuck into his head. Never once did Jesus retaliate, defend, speak back, or call on heaven's armies that were standing at the ready. Not once. Could it be that our Jesus was introducing these verses on how he was, because of how he was about to deal with others, injuring him, giving us an example of how we should react to those who hurt us physically? And emotionally. He says, do not resist an evil person. Turn the other cheek. If they sue you for one thing, give them another thing. A Roman soldier could tell them to carry something for a mile. That was law. They had to do it if a Roman soldier says, hey, carry my stuff for a mile. If that happens, carry it for two miles. Give to those who ask and do not turn away from those who want to borrow. 
guys, I can try and sugarcoat these instructions to try and appease all the buts that might be going on in your mind, the justification of our selfishness. That's not fair. I have rights. I won't let anyone walk all over me again. Because all of that stuff's jumping up into you right now. Like, I will not turn the other cheek. I will, you know. We, we do that. But it is what Jesus said. It is what he said. He says, do not resist an evil person. We can decide when we read this to go, okay, I can either go out of my way to please my king, or I can go out of my way to find loopholes to not do what he says, to do the least possible of what he says. Is it easy? No. Are there nuances and extenuating circumstances? Of course. If someone comes to hurt my child, I will stop them. Because that's what, I'm a father, I will do that. I'm not going to go there, oh, I'm not going to resist an evil person, and then they kill my girl. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about situations where I have a choice whether I'm going to represent the kingdom of God in this, sense, in this way, in this moment, or I'm just going to defend myself in my way. But that's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need wisdom from God. How do I treat this moment? How do I treat this person? But ultimately, my brothers and sisters, Jesus is challenging whether we have really died to self. Have I really died to self? Moments where you feel injured, attacked, is, is moments that reveal whether you are still hanging on to your flesh, whether you've really died for the kingdom. Our last topic, similar to this third one, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is, for you, is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Here we have a bit of a different thing happening. The first part Love your neighbor is in the law. The hate your enemy part was never actually part of the Torah. It was never part of Moses' writings. The rabbinical law added that. So when Jesus says, you've heard it say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, that hate your enemy was put in by the rabbis in, into the culture. So, and this is a classic example of what can happen in cultural Christianity as well. We can start out well with scriptural truths, but then leaders can come along and add opinion, add interpretation. And before long, with every tale added onto things, and it's repeated enough, everyone now believes that this is as true as the Word of God is true. But it's not. Jesus says, no. Don't hate your enemy. Love your enemy. So guys, you thought the previous one was hard, an evil person trying to hurt you, which 
in a way, you can say is your enemy. But this seems to be like taking it up a notch. This is your enemy. Love your enemy. You thought, um, but how? But how is this one? You, you have to love him. And what did Jesus mean by love? I went to check. The Greek word for love your enemy is agape, which is unconditional, sacrificial, serving love to your enemy. He adds that we must pray for them and that praying for our enemies is a sign that we are true children of God. Ish. Am I a true child of God? Where is it tested? In whether I pray for those I consider to be my enemy. Yo, how many of you are challenged by that? And then he makes a really good point. He says, even evildoers, pagans, Gentiles, love their friends and family. Like, that's not hard. Be, being kind to people that are kind to you is not difficult. But he's saying, do it my way. There's a higher calling. And you can only do this if you die to self and come alive in Christ. Amen? And then he ends off with this thing. You should be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. What? Yes. We are called to a level of perfection in Jesus. And there it is. Our ultimate calling. To be like Him. But how beautiful is this? Because... As I was talking to you about God's original design of marriage, we spoke about Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created this, and this is how it will always be. And it says He created us in His own image and likeness. God is perfect. God is holy. So our original design was Perfect and holy. How do we get into our original design? We get born again. Can you see that? And then, as we follow Paul's instruction in Romans 12, where he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, Put your lives on the altar. Die to self daily. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The more we read the truth of who we are, these perfect beings in Christ Jesus to the Father, the more we become this perfect person that God has made us to be. You see, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. Why would Jesus hold out the carrot of holiness and perfection if it's impossible. Then he's just cruel. But he's calling us into our original design to be perfect as he is perfect. And when I am like him, then these things that he's instructing us to do that's so hard for our flesh starts to become doable because of Christ. Because of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Amen? 
Can you see the hope in that? Because we can read these things and go, whew, Akani, like, I failed, I'm tapping out, Kanati Diddy, I was there once in my life. Before I knew that my wife is my wife and we got married, I was in one of the darkest holes of my life. I wrote a letter, <laughs> a letter. Before I wrote a letter, I wrote a letter to my pastor and the guys who were discipling me. And I said to them, I quit. I quit this Christian thing. I can't do it. It's too hard. Like the, the standard is here and I'm somewhere over here. Like I can't do it. I keep messing up. I keep sinning. I want to do the right thing, but I can't. I, I'm wasting your time. I'm wasting God's time. This is a list, I said to them, this is a list of my sins from just the last month, which proves that I should quit. I can't do it. And I cried for two days as I was waiting for them to read their emails, because in 2006, people didn't have emails on their phones. And on the Monday, they started calling me, and all of them said the same thing. It was almost like they had a meeting. They didn't have a meeting, but God was working through all of them. And they all said to me, Heinz, I read your letter. All I can say to you is, I love you, and God loves you, and this is not the end of your story. I was blown away. I was blown away by the grace. I was blown away by the love. I did not expect that. I expected them to go, yeah, sure, just hand in your papers on Monday, We'll cancel your subscription to heaven. You know, it's done. But they loved me. I knew what my sin was. I mean, I gave it to them. They could have said, yeah, but this and this. They didn't. They just loved me. And what they did is they loved me back into right relationship with God. They loved me back into kingdom and into right standing with God. It changed my life. And I want to say to you today, I don't know where you're at, what you're dealing with, what you're struggling with, whether you've been divorced and you're now going, oh man, what have I done? How do I deal with this? Whether you are sleeping with your soon-to-be wife or girlfriend and you, you don't know, if, what am I doing? I want to give you an opportunity today to say, Jesus, I've been doing it my way, but today I choose to do it your way. For some, it will mean that you give your life to Christ today for the first time. Maybe you've been struggling to live a life that you think you should be living, but you're just not getting there. Maybe you realize right now the, the rebellion that you actually carry in your heart towards God. Or maybe you've been walking with God for a long time, like I had at that space in my life, and you realize, shucks, I, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. When I read this, I'm, I'm challenged I don't know how I'm ever going to do that. Like, how do I do this? I want to invite you to, to come into a deeper place with your relationship with Jesus. Amen? So will you stand with me as we create a moment where we can reflect and respond to the Word of God? Thank you. Just close your eyes. And know that you're standing before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Know that the Holy Spirit is here. 
know that we are in the presence of the Almighty God. If you're here today and the Word of God, the words of Jesus has cut through all the stuff in your life and you realize, man, I need to give my life to Christ. I need to, I need to come and say, yes, Lord Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to die to self because I don't know what I'm doing and I want to live for you. If there's anyone here today that want to give their life to Jesus, will you please raise your hand? Just raise your hand right now. Thank you, Jesus. Just choose today to say, Lord Jesus, today I choose to give my life to you. Forgive me of all my sins and thank you for what you've done for me. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for my sins, that he rose again, and that in him I will have life and life eternal. Holy Spirit, come and fill me, come and strengthen me, come and make me new and help me to live Jesus' way in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give God the glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Please stay behind and chat to us. We're going to give you a Bible and tell you the next steps. Don't leave without doing that, please. All right. We're still in this holy moment. Let's close our eyes. If there's anyone here today... You've been walking with Jesus, but today you realize, man, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling with these teachings of Jesus. I'm struggling to live in the fullness, the wholeness of what He wants me to live in. I'm struggling with this idea that I can be perfect, that I can be holy. And, you, and, and maybe you feel like you feel guilty and unworthy because of stuff from your past. I want you to Raise your hand if that's you. Just right now, just raise your hand. Say, oh, I've got stuff that I'm struggling with. Thank you, Jesus. Just raise your hands. Just raise your hands. Come on, all over this place, hands are going up. Thank you, Jesus. Let us be honest before our God right now. Let us be honest. Thank you, Jesus. Just keep your hands in the air as, as to receive from God right now. And pray after me. Lord Jesus. Today I realize that I need you so much more than I ever could imagine. Lord, I want to live your way. I want to say someday, I did it your way. But I'm struggling. Lord, I've got sin. I've done stuff that I should not have done. Today I choose to repent of all of my sin and I ask Holy Spirit that you will come and make me new I fall out of agreement with any spirit and sin that is not of God and I choose today to come into alignment with the perfect will of God and to do things your way Holy Spirit Come and touch me afresh. Come and fill me anew. And give me the power and the ability to live a holy life 
for Jesus. I pray that in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good all the time. His word is life. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Have a wonderful Sunday. Remember, connect. Remember to come back to church next Sunday. And if you were here for the first time, remember to please go to our welcome table to receive more information. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.